Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. My guest on this episode is Christine Blackburn, actress, comedian, and has her own podcast called Story Worthy at storyworthypodcast.com. I was a guest on it not too long ago. Had a blast doing it. Uh, she's fun. She's funny. And I think you're going to like the episode. Before we get to the episode, let's get down to business. And that business, of course, is the website, TravelTalesPodcast.com. Go there, check it out. You can see some video. You can see photos of our guests. You can see photos of me. You can see articles of places I've been and recommend. You can see some stories and uh, links to all our social media. And that means iTunes. Hey, Sign up on iTunes. Subscribe. It's free. And while you're on iTunes, why not give us a good rating? Huh? It costs you nothing. It's easy to do. That would be great. Also, there are links to our Facebook page, our Twitter account, our Instagram account. Click on those links and subscribe on all of them. Will you please? It takes a minute. And again, it's all free. If you want to write me, my address is TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. Got suggestions for the show? Maybe you want to be on the show. Maybe you know somebody who would be great on the show. Let me know. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. With that out of the way, let's get right to the episode. This is the very funny and charming Christine Blackburn on Travel Tales. Enjoy. Blackbird singing in the dead of night. Take these broken wings and learn to fly. All your life You were only waiting For this moment to arise Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast I'm here with Christine Blackburn Of the Storyworthy Podcast Hi Mike Hi, how are you? Thank you for coming here Yeah, it's great You live in a great area And uh, it's it's a pleasure (laughs) to come over I'm glad it wasn't scary for you to (laughs) arrive Um Disclosure, we just met. Uh, I did your podcast. Right. We met at the uh, LA Podcast Festival. Yeah, I met you in the hallway. We met in the hallway. That's kind of like where all the hip people were hanging out. That's or right. I like to think that Thank way. you for including me in the, <laughs> the hip crowd. Yeah, right. So uh, you were doing a live show there. Right. With your partner, Hannes. Hannes Finney, yes, exactly. Hannes Finney, which is a great name. Hannes Finney, yeah, that has a nice ring to it. <laughs> uh, and then I did a, a moderated a panel, and uh, it was a great weekend. It was a lot of really awesome people there. It was super fun. You you enjoyed yourself. Yeah, yeah right? I had a great time. But then you mentioned that you had been a travel agent and you were in the Peace Corps. No, I wasn't a travel agent. I was. Oh, a I mean, flight I'm attendant. a flight attendant. I'm sorry, you were in the travel business. That's what I meant. <sighs> I'm kidding. Um, yeah, no, sorry. I was. You were, uh, I was you were a flight, flight attendant. Right. And I've been dying to have a flight attendant on here. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, because I figured flight attendants had the uh, had so great stories. I'm so surprised because I would think you, you know, you're handsome, you've traveled <laughs> the world, you fly. I'm surprised you haven't had a flight attendant, oh, well, thank as you. it were. <laughs> and what about on your podcast? Have you ever had one on your podcast? Mm, well, now, if you're going to get specific, no. Um I have had a flight. No. Um, no but there, was, known... there was this one overnight in Belgium. Yeah. It, was, it was fast. I don't even know the airline. Iberia. Anyway. Um, no, I've had, uh, I've had people like uh, travel bloggers and, and people like that and writers. Right. But I've been wanting to have... I have a few friends that were flight attendants as well, yeah. but they, I haven't been able to get them on yet because I figured flight attendants... Must have the most amazing stories. Yeah, I have definitely. I flew in the good old days, which at the time I didn't know were the good old days. Now, what, when you say the good old days, we talk pre pre nine eleven. Yeah, anything pre nine eleven was a better, was when, much better. Believe because me. people enjoyed traveling and it was more fun. But it was starting to like the business was starting to cut back already. I think. I um, mean, they got I, some I don't bad. Know. Uh, when I flew, I mean, there were good things and bad things. I flew from eighty nine to ninety six. Okay, so it was uh, seven years. Years, and um, it was with U.S. Airways. Oh. At the time, it was called U.S. Air. Because you're a uh, Pittsburgh native. Right? Exactly. Because I'm from Pittsburgh. Although and they're I was, a hub there. That, that's one of their hub. What used to be a hub. Mm-hmm. And then I was also based in Washington, D.C. And then... And when I was based in D.C., I was responsible for, now that I think of it, I was responsible for uh, Washington's uh, National Airport, Baltimore, BWI, and also Dullis, DIA. So, or not DIA, but uh, I think it's IAD. No, wait, yeah, IAD. IAD is Dulles, yeah. So anyway, I was responsible for three airports. And so you had to be, as a flight attendant, uh, w- able to get 
within those three airports within an hour at any given time, which you really couldn't even do unless you were like at Tyson's Corner in Virginia. Um, what, so you mall. were on call to go to on any call, one of those exactly. three airports? So I had a beeper because that was during the time oh, of beepers. Oh, beepers. Oh, I had a beeper. And you, and you had to, oh, I bet you did. Oh, damn right I did. <laughs> well, I was dealing drugs. <laughs> And you had to call scheduling back. It was called cruise scheduling. And you'd call them back within 15 minutes, and then they'd tell you where you were going. That's a little stressful. You know what? It was super stressful. And I did it that way. For seven years, it was called being on reserve. I never had what they call a block or having a schedule. I never had a schedule. I was always on reserve because the airline industry, and it still is, is a seniority-based industry. So it's all based on when were you hired. That is your importance to the company. Other than that, you know, it, it, that's it. It's all about the numbers. You could be the best flight attendant in the world. You ain't making a dime more yeah. than the worst flight attendant in the world because you were hired the day before. So it's all about your training date. Right. And you want to know my training date? Yeah. It's super hot. Are you ready? Come on. Go on. 8 14 89. 8 14 89. And so I was employee number three. You were 15 years old. I was. See how I that's was, done, fellas? Very you see funny. that? Very smooth. Um, and I was employee 38460. That's the other thing. When you work for an airline and a company, at least at that time, and that is so big, you're just a number. Hello, it's 38460 calling back. Who's scheduling? <laughs> 38460. That's who you are. Wait, so I had a friend in uh, Chicago. She was a flight attendant for United for many well, for, uh-huh. for years, but she was probably in her mid to late 20s. So mm-hmm. she'd been doing it for like four or five years. And uh, after 9-11, when they started to cut back, and the new contracts came out. Hers were so bad, they said, you know, if you were young enough to get into another line of work, you should probably go. Right, wow. And, and that's one of the reasons why you take all those flights now. You fly United, American, or Delta. I haven't had one. And the last few flights I've taken, every flight attendant's probably been, I want to say, <laughs> uh, 55 and older. <laughs> I knew right? you were going to say that. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. It's man. not as bad as like Southwest. Southwest has some younger people still. They do. They do. It's, I think it's a younger man's game in general. I mean, I think if you want to be a flight attendant, it's a fun career and it's a great thing to do in your 20s. Because, you know, you do, if you take advantage of the traveling and you and you enjoy traveling, I think it's really worth it. Uh, and don't worry so much about the money. Just enjoy the experience of it. But you have to realize that at some point, you could stay with the job for 30 more years, but the job will not change. What you did on the first day is what you're going to do on the 100th day and the 200th yeah. day and the 500th day. And you can't really get better. You can be a really nice guy or you're a dick. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So you either like have a smile on your face and you genuinely, genuinely want to help people. And I felt like I was like that. Or you're just not a nice person and you're probably not going to be a nice flight attendant. But my point is, is that you can't like get better because you're still, it's a seniority thing. So you're still, you can't, it's always going to be, can I get you a Coke or a Sprite? Yeah. It's never going to change. It's never going to change. So you can't really grow in your life as a flight attendant. It goes to Coke Zero. It goes that's, to Coke, right. <laughs> when they and invent a new drink. Ooh, this is a big day for us. And I'll tell you something. I actually, <laughs> I'd, I'd applied for United Airlines and US Air, and the, and the straw that broke the camel's back uh, was that US Air had Coke products and United had Pepsi products. Oh. And I really enjoy a Coke product. <laughs> <laughs> All that in so, the bases. Yeah. So you had, uh, you, you're from Pittsburgh. You I grew am. up there. So. So was flight attendant, did you see this as your way to get out? Was this like yeah, your... Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. And also, <laughs> I do enjoy, I do enjoy, and I always have enjoyed traveling, et cetera. So I, it, was, it was a great opportunity, but I, I knew I wouldn't do it forever. It was just a, for a nice period of time. And Okay. You weren't a lifer. You didn't, uh, no, you never saw I knew it, I wasn't going to be a lifer. Right. No, 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 no. So was there a moment when you said, I'm done? Did uh, something well, happen? Well, what I did was I went, well, yeah, it was the repetitive repetitiveness of it. It was that it didn't change. Right. Uh, now there could be an accident, but you don't want that change. You know, that's not the change you're looking for. Um, (laughs) and you know, the uniform was ridiculous. You know, you had to wear heels on the plane, you know, heels on boarding and heels through the terminal and heels on, you know, deplaning, but flats in the air and you're serving garment and you had a double breasted blazer and it was all very much into the uniform. Yeah. Uh, they were very specific about the, um, the uniform, I'll tell you, in training, uh, we started training with like 180 people. And when we finished, it was about 120 people. They, they kicked out people a lot and for all sorts of reasons. Uh, and, and one of the things they would kick you out for is um, your uniform and how you wore your uniform. So the serving garment was very important. And one time in training during accident week, which is like shark week, but it's for accidents, <laughs> 
we're watching this flight. It was Air Florida, and the Air Florida had taken off from, um, I think, National Airport and had crashed into the Potomac River. Do you remember this? It was like 1989, I think it was. Kind of, yeah. And it crashed on takeoff, and everybody in the plane was dead except for five people. And one person that survived, this flight attendant, she was in the icy water, and they have a helicopters flying above and they're showing pictures of her and they drop her a rope and she grabs onto this rope and she's dangling and she's dangling on this helicopter as she's getting pulled to safety amid wreckage and and icebergs and she's in her serving garment and the trainer stopped the 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 tape player and said you see that you see that you want to be on national tv in your serving garment so they were very, they wanted... They, they, As they're pulling a woman from the plane, they're right. seeing what she's wearing. Right. They were very specific about, oh my you know. God. So when I was a flight attendant, I mean, it was more fun in ways. But as I look back, it was really... Uh, also, you know, they were, st- it wasn't as bad as in the 60s or in the, you know, 60s when flight attendants couldn't be married and had to be right. nurses and couldn't wear glasses. You could slap and- their ass down the aisle. Exactly. And wore, you know, go-go <laughs> boots. But it was definitely, you know, this thing about high-heeled shoes and the way you wore your uniform. Well, wasn't it around the 80s or something? There used to be like a weight requirement there and all this other stuff. There was a huge weight requirement. And an age requirement. They, had to be, they were all young. Because like you watch like sitcoms and, and movies from the 60s and 50s. It's like, hey, we're going out with a couple stews. Listen, you know, and they were listen, like, they were like code for like hot training, young women. Once a week in training, we would all have to go into the auditorium and line against the wall. And they would call up your name in front of everybody. And it would be Blackburn. And I'd have to step on a scale. And one woman would be writing down the numbers. And she would look at the chart and she'd say, Blackburn. Five foot four, can weigh, and then she'd go down 120 pounds, and then they'd flash to the other, and she'd go, weighs 119. I always made it by like one pound every week, and if you didn't make weight, they would put you in a van, take you to the airport, and send you back to wherever you came from because you're out. They used to call your weight out to everybody, and right now you're looking at here 125. At a girl. So I would not be, but I would not be. By the way, my apartment has a weight requirement do, of, do of uh, 120. Like so you're over. Am I, can you believe that? <laughs> That's crazy. It was insane. It was so crazy. So in that respect, it was kind of a drag uh, to be a flight attendant. And like I said, it was always on a beeper. And you would, what you would do on a beeper is you would try to screw, you would try to screw with crew scheduling because you didn't want to fly. I never wanted to fly. I fucking hated it. mean, never, I never, never wanted, wanted to, fly. to fly. I wanted to travel. I wanted to go places on my days Oh, off. you wanted to get there. But you wanted to be there and well, not I, get there. On my days off, because I was off at least a week a month, I, and I would just fly everywhere. I just took trips. I would just go to, you know, I'd go to Paris. I'd go to London. I'd go to that's great. Australia. No, no, no but you. But did you ever get to the point where you were working those routes? No, of, because I was that's with seniority, US Air, right? And, well, no, it's oh, US, US Air was Air, only domestic. We, we were mostly domestic. We did some, like I would go to Frankfurt, London, some cities, but not far. Could you only fly in them, or could you fly on there? Did they have partners then, like international? No, at that partners? point, we, I, you know. God, Gosh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, Mike. The, there are so many airlines that have had so many mergers. Over I know time. you don't. Know. I'm well, so U.S. Air just got was with American, them? yeah, American, right yeah. now. So it's really anyway. Um, there's three uh, airlines now. It's, it's like, very complicated. It's very, <laughs> they all merge, and I don't know what's what. Um, but what was it we were just talking about right before that? The international flight. You liked yeah, interna- uh, being oh, there, but oh, you didn't right. like getting there. I didn't like there. to fly. So one time I'm at a Steeler game, okay, and it, I'm in. Three River Stadium. And the noise level, you know, it was like 65,000 people. And my beeper goes off, okay? So mm. now I got to go call. You got to 15 minutes. So I got 15 minutes to get to the bowels of the basement of the stadium so I can make a call without being disrupted, right? And find get, a payphone? I got to go to a payphone, right. <laughs> yeah. So I go pay to... Payphones, kids. You had to put money on them. Yeah. They money were, inside them. It was them a phone. They were yeah, public. Yeah, yeah. And other people used them. You didn't have your own anywhere you wanted it. So And you carried change. Yes. So I went to the bowels of the, of the basement of the of the... Three River Stadium, and I'm going down escalators and down escalators and down ramps, and I'm just looking for a phone that's by itself, and I'm not going to hear the noise of the stadium. Uh, you know, you know, ring, ring, U.S. Air Crew scheduling. Um, hey, this is the three eight four six zero, and um, I'm so sick, and I just, I can't. I, my beeper went off, but I can't. And all of a sudden, this fucking guy comes up painted, you know, with the black and the right. yellow gold face. Johnny Pittsburgh. Right. He fucking comes running up the phone. He grabs the receiver and he goes, go Steelers! And he fucking runs away. And so, crew scheduling said, please see your supervisor tomorrow morning, you know, and bam. I'm in trouble. Oh. I was always in trouble. What happened? 
Well, what would happen is you'd get in trouble and then there would be different levels of trouble. trouble. You would have to see this supervisor, then this supervisor. Uh, I don't really remember all the steps of being in trouble, but I always pushed it. I'll say that. I'm going to ask you the question you probably got as a flight attendant a million times. Your scariest flight, did anything ever go wrong? Yeah, I've had a, I've had a couple of incidences. One when um, uh, we were taking off, it was like 7 in the morning, Pitt, Philly. Uh, at that time, by the way, we would serve like a hot breakfast from Pitt to Philly. I mean, we were serving food. Yeah, you always we got a, serving, a snack at least. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. We served so much food. Anyway, <laughs> and uh, I was flying C, which means I'm in the front of the plane facing the passengers with my back to the cockpit. And there's a girl next to me. She's flying A. A and C are always in the front. B's in the back or D's in the back. And uh, anyway, so uh, we're taking off. It's on a 727, which is a really old plane. And it was the one that had like three engines, one on the top and then two okay. on the sides yeah, in the back. Yeah. And they don't really use it anymore. Anyway, we're taking off down the runway. And um, all of a sudden, we lose a third of the power. You hear like a loud bang. And then the plane just starts sucking back. And then I think, well, you know, we're going to abort the takeoff. We're not taking off because we clearly – because when you take off, you're going about 120 miles an hour. Not really that fast, the plane. And the, and so we lo- so now we're going maybe 80 miles an hour. So I thought, okay, we didn't take off, but we did take off. And then we were in the air, and we had blown out that top engine. Had blown out a, you know, so we oh lost an engine, right? So then the pilots are like right behind my head, the right behind my seat, you know. And we just hear like, you know, a lot of buttons are clicking. <laughs> you know, take on two, and all these numbers and things are flying by, and. uh we start hitting the button. There's a there's a phone, right? We the flight attendant pulls the phone down, and then there's these beeps that go off. Okay, so it's beep beep. If you hear two beeps, that's the, I'm saying to the cockpit. I don't know why it rings in the whole plane, but it does. But I'm telling the cockpit answer the phone. So, but they're not answering the phone because we could tell they're very busy. Right. Anyway, finally, um, we had cockpit keys back then. That was a key, a flight attendant. We put the key Definitely in our pre-9-11. Pocket. Right. And we put the key <laughs> in our pocket, and then we would open the – We could. so I got up, opened the door to the cockpit, go in. They're very busy. So, Christine, don't talk now. They seem to be busy. <laughs> and then the pilot said, okay, we're going to uh, – he didn't say it to me. He got on the PA and said it to everybody. Uh, looks like we blew out the number three engine, folks. We're going to go around. Uh, they're going to prepare the runway, and we're going to have the flight attendants prepare you for an emergency landing. But uh, we don't anticipate any problems. Well, that was, and so that wow. was good. But and so then we did get the passengers prepared, and uh, you know they're looking at us. You know, are you nervous? And I'm thinking, yes, yes, I am nervous. You know, so then we're all nervous. You know, it's but right. you're looking down, and they're bringing all these fire engines toward the runway, and we're just going in circles. And there's little sparks. Honestly, there was it was like fairy dust metal sparks kept wow. flying under the plane. Did I'm, they ever find out what happened? Like, uh, did, I don't know. I'm sure, they, I'm sure they found out, but they they didn't tell me. If you can oh, imagine. Man. But it landed uh, but any, safely. We landed safely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that was sort of dramatic, uh, you know, because at the time, it's always at the time, you don't know really what's going to happen, obviously. Right. Well, there's that calming influence, though. It's like no matter how much you want to freak out, there is something. If you look at the crew and, and you just go, they do this every day. If they're yeah. not freaking out, yeah. then I'm okay. Yeah. But I if I see them wide-eyed running around, right. I'm going to go, okay, something's, something's off. Had some really tr- uh, a lot of turbulence in Florida. I remember that always being very bad. Yeah. You know, especially in the summertime when the thunderstorms in Florida uh, were always really, you know, when, when the plane is just shaking around so violently. So it's not a plane crash, but it's not good. You know? Oh, yeah. Be- be- beverages just flying, just, you know, things, debris. Oh. And uh, hold on, man. And you just think like, <laughs> fuck, we're going to break in half. So that, and, and so I, that always scared me more than, uh, than you know, the, the, than them flying in weather, you know, in snow and ice. Did uh, I'm sure this happened. Though. Did a uh, uh, some of the male passengers? Did they ask you out? And did you ever go out with any of them? Yeah, definitely. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. A couple. Where they say, "Hey, guys, we're landed in Dallas. One. You probably have a night off in Dallas. I'm in town. I'm yeah, business, something and- like that. Something like that." <laughs> Uh, no, definitely. I met two guys I went out with for long, like one guy for like two or three years, and we're still friends. 
and another guy for like three years and we're not really friends, but I know I know where he is. I know I see him on Facebook and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, you, definitely. You bet on the plane as you were working? Definitely. Okay. Now, what kind sure. of thing? I mean, well, you got, you got to hear the cheesiest lines. What worked? I mean, what what did these no, guys just, say that <laughs> were they in first class? They're probably first class. One they? guy was first class. Yeah, okay. The other guy was an athlete. Like, uh, just like, like known? Like, no, not known. But if, well, if you know soccer, he might have been. But I, I do. Didn't, I didn't know soccer. Oh, interesting. They, was he American or? No, British. Oh, yeah. They're very, uh, you know, in with the. Uh, I might know him. The soccer, as it were. Yeah, you might. We'll say it. Well, you can tell anyway, me off air. Yeah, so no, really nice people. David and, you know, Beckham. Pe- people that fly. <laughs> people that, yeah, that's right. People that, you know, fly a lot. Right. You know, and, and the other guy I met, like he was just going to down to D.C. for a meeting for the day. You okay. know, so that would happen a lot, especially those cities back east. They're all so close together. So, you you know... How many straight male flight attendants did you ever work with? A lot. I mean, really? I understand that that's such a stereotype, and I understand it. There are a lot. I mean, of they are in the minority. Gay flight attendants, but it's not. These guys got to be making out like bandits. But I don't think, like, I don't even listen to me. I don't even see race or color <laughs> okay. at all anymore. Okay. No, but I swear to God, like, there's something like, I suppose, but. If I really, really did like a, a check mark, who's gay and who's not? I don't really think no, I know all that. that. But- I don't know. You have so much time together in that plane to talk. Yeah, that's true. And so what would happen is you would fly with somebody and you'd sit right next to them on the jump seat and you'd be on a two-day, three-day, or four-day trip. So you're going to spend the next two, three, or four days with that person. Now, depending on the plane you're on, uh, I often, because I had shitty seniority, I would have to fly the fucking DC-9, which is like a tank. And you would do eight to ten takeoffs and landings in a day. So now you're sitting next to this person doing 40 flights in four days and going to the hotel with them and eating with them and you get to know them so well and then you never see them again in your life. Yeah. And it's really strange because in my where I was based there were 9,000 flight attendants. So you literally, you don't see anybody again. Wow. I know because if you go on, I one time I thought about the math of that. Like if I took four or five, let's say I took five trips a month and I met three flight attendants each month. I met 15 flight attendants a month that I flew with and really got to know well, and times 12 in the year, so over almost 200 flight attendants a year, and then I never see them again. So it's so strange. It's almost like uh, sitting through psychology or like a, like a therapy with somebody because you just spill out your guts. You know, like, what's your deal? Right. You'd be like, well, I graduated 8, 14, 89. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. You'd go right to when you graduated. Did you get along with the pilots for the most part? I got, a really, I got along really well with pilots, all pilots, I love pilots, and they love me too. Mm-hmm. And I often went out with the first officers. Oh. N- n- not romantically, but they were always the ones. It was always like, all right, who's going to the bar? Wait, so the pilot, and then there's, a, there's fly- a co-pilot and a first officer? Uh, no, the, the first officer work? is the co-pilot. Okay. There's a captain and a first officer. Gotcha. And um, no, they, But they're not allowed to drink up in, like, uh, was it 12 well, hours before their... You know, it's so complicated, Mike. It was either 12 this hours is me before nervous. or 12 feet from the plane. I never... <laughs> Oh, no. It was so fuzzy. Listen. Like, I don't care if my flight attendant has a little booze, but uh, I want the pilots sober as hell. In West Palm Beach, I went out with the pilots and the whole whole crew, all of us, the five of us, okay? So it was me, two girls, and two pilots. In fact, by the way, if you're ever near an airport and you see a group of people out having dinner and there's like three younger girls and two two older men, it's a crew. It's the crew, yeah. It's the crew. Anyway, but the the captain had a boat in West Palm Beach, right? Mm, so boy. we went right from the airport. We never even checked into the hotel. We just left from the airport off the trip and went straight to his boat and just partied so crazy hard silly. I don't know what we were doing. We didn't even go out in the boat. We just stayed in the marina. But the next morning, you know, we're all... I don't think anybody unpacked their suitcase. Like right. it was all like it was just... You're working on two hours of sleep, top. At the most... And we get back to the, you know, plane. We're supposed to take off at 7 or whatever. We're late. We're like half hour late. <laughs> and uh, we get on the plane. Yeah, there was uh, some crazy times like that. Right, right. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it happened. There was another time, New Year's Eve in Ithaca, New York. Perhaps you've heard of Cornell University. Oh, I have. I've been to Ithaca. Okay, so here I am in Ithaca with the crew. 
Ithaca, the airport was so small, by the way. The little terminal was so small. How small was it? They had a <laughs> microwave available for anybody to use. It was just sitting out like a popcorn maker. It was just like, like the a passengers coffee. could just hang yeah, out. It was like, like there was a coffee yourself. thing and a microwave and a little refrigerator. <laughs> and uh they would have a car there for the crew, and we would go to the air. You'd land in Ithaca, and the ticket agent, who also was a U.S. Air employee, would just hand the pilot the keys to the car, and then we would get in the car and drive to the hotel, spend the night. In the morning, we would the pilot would drive the car to the airport, you know. And so he's driving <laughs> us, then he's flying us anyway. And uh, New Year's Eve, we're out. It's late. We're coming back. Two a.m. We wreck the car. We bailed the car. We leave the car down the road. We walk the rest of the way to the hotel to get back. In the morning, which is, you know, it's like, we'll see you guys in the morning, three hours, see you in the lobby. <laughs> now, uh, when you we, say you wrecked the car, was he drunk? Well, you know, I'll tell you what. The car was in a field by itself. Couldn't move the car. Couldn't get out of that area. Mm-hmm. So in the morning, we get up. We get a cab to the airport, okay, because the car is not with us. Then we don't have the keys to get. Well, he does have the keys. He gives the keys back to the gate agent because the car is down on Route 57. <laughs> so these things did happen. Did you ever have to throw somebody out off the plane, like for unruly behavior or drunkenness? Or One something? time, yeah, just landing. We had to land early. We landed in uh, Colorado Springs, which is odd. I don't know why that was. Hmm. I don't remember why how that happened. But we were flying, and uh, it was like L.A. to New York, and. Uh, just somebody was just drunk, losing it, crazy, you know, swinging, fighting. Not pretty. Oh, really? Not he, good. How did you subdue him? Uh, as I recall, other passengers did. I remember putting him, they put him in the back row by himself. Um, just I don't a, know. Just like kind of weird. went so off we his meds landed. or something? I don't know. I don't know. We, but we had an emergency landing and, you know. Wow. So anyway, no, it's a good. I mean, it's a good career. I think it's a fun thing to do for people, but it's it's definitely nothing where you're gonna like be fulfilled and grow as a person. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. You're gonna have some cool overnights, and then you're just gonna be slinging coke and sprite. That's what you do. <laughs> Was there one? Okay, give me your favorite cities. If you saw that you were gonna be sent there, you San look, Francisco. You look, well, yeah, okay, that's a San good one. San Francisco, New York. Sure. Um, uh, where did they put you up in New York? Did you well, always have at the to time, stay by, okay. oh, yeah. like JFK at, or something no, or Newark? No, 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 Okay, so, By the way, as a flight attendant, you have either a long overnight or a short overnight. If it's under 11 hours in our contract, it was short, under 11 hours, so you had to stay within like two miles of the airport. Yeah. And if it was over 11 hours or over 12 hours or something, then you had to stay in the city that was close enough to things to do, as it were. Like there were rest, you, know, you had to be close enough to restaurants, gyms, things like that. It was they, all in oh, the really? they, contract. Yeah, it was oh, all in the flight attendant contract. That was your right? union fighting for it. That's the union right there. Uh, hard working for you. Uh, and so um, it's depending on where the overnight was. Okay, so in New York, it was right on 42nd Street. And it oh, was wow. called the um, – it was it was a Hyatt. It was a Hyatt. And it was um, – I can't remember the name of it. And I can picture it so well. And it was strip clubs all across the street. Yeah, 42nd Street was a little dicey. Yeah, very you know, Especially dicey. at that time. But it's it was – It wasn't as Disney-fied as it is now. No, exactly. And um I'm trying to think – uh, we would sometimes go up, be up in a Bangor, Maine. I would stay up over there, which was a really neat place. Yeah, because CUS there, we did these little puddle yeah, jumpers, yeah. you know. And some some of those places up in New England were cool. Um, you know, it just depended also what season it was and, you know, where you wanted to be. Was there an airport or city that you just dreaded going to every time? Um, yeah, Houston was such a big airport, just ridiculously big. Um, let me think what else. Oh, okay. At the time in Newark, Newark, New York. Oh my goodness, they had the. It was Newark Airport was completely torn up, but there were signs everywhere that would say, "We are building you the airport of the future." <laughs> you know that airport you want to be in right now? We're building it for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, oh my gosh, Newark was a disaster. LaGuardia was a disaster. There, they you know. You know, airports are funny. And then Pittsburgh in 1992 made this incredible, huge, amazing terminal. And U.S. Air promised them all this money. And then U.S. Air completely pulled out of the city. And now out of four concourses, they only use two. Like it just became like a ghost town because the airline pulled out. So it is interesting what they do for cities. My favorite part of the uh, Pittsburgh airport that just always makes me laugh every time I went in there was the – they had two life-size statues like mannequins Franco one, one's, 
<laughs> one's George Washington. Okay, yeah, that right. makes sense. I right. figure, oh, there's going to be another one's probably like maybe William Pitt. No. Or something. No, Franco Frank Harris. Franco Harris, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I know. That's a good George one. Washington and Franco <laughs> Harris. And you say, well, I see where this city's. Uh, but it was a great, it is a great airport in that there's like all sorts of stores, et cetera. But then the airline pulled out and then things got really more difficult in Pittsburgh. Well, Pittsburgh had a rough go of it anyway. I mean, but you know what? I, I, I look at. Detroit now, and there's some comparisons you can make to Detroit and Pittsburgh, and the fact that like it, there were one industry towns, well, and when that indus- well when that industry goes away, at one point Pittsburgh had like two million people in it, right? And it's just it just got some. Now I think it has like well, seven hundred, eight hundred thousand situation. No, That's what I mean. No, 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 there's only like three hundred thousand. Is that people it? In Pittsburgh? Yeah, it's very small. But but, but there's a lot of cool. hospitals now. There's a lot of hospitals now and a lot of uh, universities. Yeah. So it's really built on uh, a big, huge collection of hospitals and yeah, leading Pitt, hearts, Duquesne and right, and then leading they they're uh, leading hospitals for hearts. Right. You know, I mean, you have to find something else, but it you know it's uh, Pittsburgh survived. And it just got smaller. Yeah. So I tell people like Detroit's A it's is just going to have to get smaller. To where you're from as well, right? I'm from Chicago. Right. It's yeah. very similar, right? In a but way, but much smaller. Well, yeah. Chi- yeah. However, <laughs> however, Pittsburgh is more like mountainous, right? Because it's in yeah, the Ohio it's Valley, it's and pretty. Chicago is very flat. Very flat. Chicago just goes on and on and on. Yeah, it's very spread out. Yeah. It. Um, and you talk about airports. I mean, that's that's a, O'Hare is like a city in itself. It's yeah, it crazy. really is. It is. I used to fly into Midway a lot. Oh, that's a fun airport. That was a smaller airport. Tiny down on the south side. Right. And then you're flying over people's houses and, and building. And it's just like right there. It's like Yeah, really strange. You know, even flying into San Diego and out of San Diego is very cool. Have you flown in and out of San Diego? Uh, you rarely. You go right past the skyscrapers. I mean, you go. Yeah, yeah. I see them come in. Boom, right, right past the buildings. It's very cool. Scariest airport. One of the scariest to fly into. You ever fly into Vail? Oh yeah. Oh no, um Aspen. Well, it's Vail Eagle. Well, Vail Eagle but Aspen Airport. No, not Aspen proper. It's, it's so like because you have to go over the mountains then drop quickly. Yeah. It's a, it's tricky. So people who are afraid of flying freak yeah, freak I out. Yeah, I think some people have died there. I think there's been some accidents there. Oh yeah, there. It's, it's not and if Take you're going in a snowstorm and yeah. ice and oh, it, it the is a Vail Eagle Airport is tremendous and it's um they've done it all in like a Robert Redford Sundance magazine motif, right? Sorry, so it's, it's all like, wood and stone. It's all and... wood and like leather couches and um big sectionals <laughs> yeah. and stuff. It's it's like people wear cowboy hats. It's awesome. So there wasn't uh, was there that defining moment you said I'm out I'm done Yeah because like I said it was very repetitive and I just wanted to do more and I wanted to live in a different place so I joined the Peace Corps Okay that was that was going <laughs> to be the next half yeah, of this well, uh, yeah, you discussion know what? It's just you know Yes it's that's good what we want to talk about though. I mean I really love I mean I I wanted to live in a different place, you know. As a flight attendant, I felt that I was taking a lot, right? Because I'm just taking. Because I'm you're I mean, dipping I'm, a toe into all these places, and yeah, not but really... I'm, yeah, I'm just kind of like. But it's all about like it just didn't lead anywhere. I didn't feel like anything was being done meaningful whatsoever. You know what I yeah. mean? It was because it's just Coke or Sprite. It didn't feel important. And like I was talking about the seniority. I know it sounds dumb, but it's. So true. You doesn't matter how good you are. You're not getting ahead in something like that. So the Peace Corps, there you go. Want to make a difference. That okay. was the whole thing. So I really took it to another extreme. Yeah, didn't you I? really went the other way. So, so you were a flight attendant for what, seven years or so? Right, right. And okay. then the Peace Corps is like a two and a half year service. I didn't get to stay that long, but it is about a two and a half year You didn't service. get to stay that long. I thought no. that's part of the deal. I know, but I got really sick when I was there after uh, only like three months. Okay, let's start it off. So when you decide. It's a really tricky, it's a tricky thing. You go to your local chapter and you sign up. You well, say, you know, that's what I thought you could do, right? So I, I have no to, idea how the Peace Corps right, works. I know. So I, I went down to the University of Pittsburgh, and I th- here actually in LA, you go to UCLA. Okay. And they have a Peace Corps recruiting office or at least a contact now i'm sure they have a contact and i went into this girl this girl's office melissa and i said hey you know i am a flight attendant now and i really am good at traveling and i would like to join the peace corps so sign me up and she said oh wow that's great you're so enthusiastic uh here uh, what would what could you do for the peace corps and i said well uh what 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 are your choices and she literally handed me a list and i said well look at that i can do none of those things because it was like a lot building of, a bridge and right animal husbandry, carpentry, computer skills. Um, <laughs> do these natives need diet coke served to them? Because I can yes, whip that I can, out. You or... don't even understand. Do they want chicken or motherfucking beef? 
I mean, I, so she said, well, it, I was really, I must have been very crestfallen, and she felt uh, sorry for me, and she said, well, you do speak English, don't you? And I yes, said, and I can give a demonstration said, on how, to, how your seat can become a flotation That's device. right, and uh, she said, you could teach English as a second language. Okay, there and you I go. I said, that's what I would like to do, and she said, okay, you need to go get certified, so I went out, and I got certified, and I came back with a thing, and I said, look here, Melissa, and she said, that's nice, Christine, why don't you go out now and volunteer for a year? And let me know how that goes. And I said, are you fucking kidding me? Wow. You have to volunteer. You have to prove that you mean this. So I did. I went and I volunteered teaching English to – I had some students. In Pittsburgh. Right, at the University of Pittsburgh. I'd meet them in the Carnegie Library, these uh, Turkish students that were – they were like in full burqas. And it was – I was like, look at me. I got a Muslim. It was very (laughs) – I was – it was a weird thing. Anyway, and I did that. And for I, a year? Yeah. And I were kept you still flying. working? I kept, kept flying. Oh, okay, yeah, I was yeah. flying. I was a flight attendant. Doing my flight attendant thing, which is just so repetitive. I can't even tell you how repetitive <laughs> it is. I mean, even though you get to eat in different cities, and I had my favorite – I mean, I had my favorite food in all these different cities. I had my favorite fountain drinks. Like, Washington, D.C. had this Coke machine that I swear the Coke there was better than any Coke. <laughs> I don't care if I had a can or a bottle. I needed that Coke. So it got very – but it got really, you know. So anyway, so I, you did it for a year. You and taught then I went English. back, and then the girl said, "Okay, I'm going to nominate you to be in the Peace Corps." So she nominates me. Then I had to go to New York and meet at the Peace Corps, like the regional office, or oh, you know, another a, a regional office. And actually, that was in the uh, World Trade Center. Oh yeah. And I met there with the Peace Corps people, and then they they selected me to be in the Peace Corps. So that so now a year and a half is have half has gone by. I mean, this is a period of time. Like they say that they take about three thousand volunteers a year, but about twenty thousand apply. So it's just people don't get through the steps. There's so many steps, yeah. to, hurdles to jump through because I think they want to see if you really are committed to. I'm do actually this. kind of glad they do that. Well, yeah, because a lot of kids so. go, man, I'm going to go to Africa from party for yeah, a, yeah. You know. So then you get a full physical, and the physical is what I'm going to bring that up in a minute, but. It's it's very thorough. The physical is very, very thorough. They want to make sure you're very healthy. In some countries, you have to have your wisdom teeth pulled first because they're going to make sure yeah. you don't have to come back for your wisdom teeth. I mean, That's they just – smart. I suppose. Anyway, and so uh, <laughs> they told me uh, – that they asked me at one point. They said, uh, okay, we have three different countries. You could go to Dominica, Grenada, or Sri Lanka. Dominica and Grenada, of course, just south of – In the Caribbean. Yeah, south of Miami, really. Sri Lanka, one of far. the poorest places in, right. far, in far, Asia. Right, far, 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 far. So, of course, you know, you know that's what I chose. Did you choose I Sri Lanka? I Sri Lanka, right. So I say yes, Sri Boy. Lanka, because it's in the, it's in the Sinhalese part, and it's in the southern part of the country, and I'm going to learn Sinhalese, and I'm excited, and um, I resign from the airline. I get rid of my apartment. I sell my car, and I'm two weeks from leaving, or maybe three weeks from leaving. I am going to Sri Lanka and I've got my shit ready for Sri Lanka and I've got my Lonely Planet guide and yeah. I've got my language books and um, one day I come home from being a flight attendant and the voice machine because now we have a, a machine like a voice oh yeah a vo- what do we call it an answering machine an answering machine right and I hit playing, you know, speaker goes, hey, Christine, this is Rod up in New York. Listen, uh, there's been some trouble over in Sri Lanka. The Tamil Tigers are acting up. So uh, we're going to cancel your schedule. Uh, you know, we're canceling your training class in Sri Lanka. So uh, we'll check back with you in the spring and we'll get you another country to go then. And I thought, oh, my God, I got I resigned. I got rid of my You apartment. had already quit? I had resigned. Yeah, I had like a two week notice or whatever. Oh. I was gone. So I was like, get the fuck out. I called back, no, 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 no. I got to go now or I'm not going anywhere. So then they called me back and they said, okay, we got you a country. You're going to Tonga. Tonga. And I said, great. I've always wanted to go to Africa. I'll go there. They said, no, that's (laughs) Togo. (laughs) God damn it. They said, no, you're going to the South Pacific. Yes, Tonga's down by like Samoa and all that, right? Exactly. South of Fiji. Yeah. North of New Zealand. It's a little group Sounds of... Sounds like it'd be beautiful, though. About 170 islands, about 30 are inhabited. Yeah, it's crazy beautiful. Crazy beautiful. That's kind of an upgrade, but it's not like... So remote. Yeah. Very remote. You know, where I live, no electricity, no running water. You know, no roads or paths or bikes or cars or no. phones. Are you going solo, or is there somebody you go, you that always a representative go with the already United there? United States Peace Corps, you go in a training class. So about okay. 25 of us, or 26 of us met 
in San Francisco for the staging before we're all going to go to the Peace Corps together for two and, two and a half years, essentially. Okay, so we're all meeting in San Francisco. So we all meet there. First meeting, reception, whatever, 5 p.m., see in the lobby, whatever. One guy never comes out of his room. He did not go. He freaked. He lost it. He couldn't make Get that. scared, yeah. He got scared. Anyway, so we go as a group. <laughs> then they split you up and you go to different villages for training. Then you get placed in your own village for your, you know, your two years placement. You're in training for at least two and a half months. Wow. Exactly. So it's a, it's a huge process, a huge undertaking. And uh, the Peace Corps, it's an exciting thing. I would encourage people to do that any day. Now, at the time I did this, I was like 31 years old, which is unusual because most people... You were probably the oldest one there. Well, no, there were actually about 10 people in my class that were... Uh, in their 50s and 60s, people tend to they do the retired. Peace Corps. Right. People tend right to out of the... college or after exactly. they've and made all their money. Because and... people in their 30s tend to have lives. Yeah, careers, families, that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, relationships. Ambition. That, that sort of thing. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, it's a very beautiful place. I'll say that. Okay, so two and a half months of training. Yeah. And you did go. Yes. Okay. And then I got through the training, and then about a week after training, I got really sick. And um, now, I, when you say sick, was this? You think part of this might have been psychological freakout, kind of your no, body shutting no, down? No, no, no. I had cancer. I oh had, my god! Yeah. Oh. I know. Well, yeah, geez, no, the, I'm I know. Sorry. <laughs> sorry to bring it down, man. Wow. No, right? No, it wasn't. I wish it had been just like the water or something, and then maybe I just had diarrhea. So you were already there. I was there. I was out of training, and I was waiting, ready to go to my village. I was my um, where I was supposed to go, my village, where I was supposed to teach after training. Okay, where I was supposed to teach, the house I was supposed to live in burnt down, burnt down out of the blue. So they, I couldn't live there. There was no house. So they placed me with this homestay family. And when I was with that homestay family, that's when I found out. Oh, that's when I got sick. And it all came down in one moment, which is why I was bringing up before how I had that thorough physical exam maybe yeah. just four months previous. And they found and nothing. And here I am. No, they found nothing. So now here I am all of a sudden in one night, I get deathly sick with a fever. And oh. li- literally like I'm, I'm seeing things, like I'm so sick and the pain is all in my lower back. And I don't know what's going on, but I'm like deliriously hot. The woman that I was living with, this family, she came into my room. And she and she chanted over me, "Palangi puke, palangi puke, which means the white person's sick, the white person's sick, the devil's in your stomach, the devil's in your stomach. <laughs> now, Mike, while I didn't think the devil was in my stomach, I didn't uh, know what was wrong. And then, after a series of crazy mishaps over the next five, five or six days there in the country, trying to go to the hospital where there was no water, oh. and then the doctor said, "I'm going to take your appendix out tomorrow." And you know, you know, you can't do that because you don't have water, man. Yeah. You know, and there was this crazy period of time. Then the Peace Corps flew me out to Hawaii. Yeah, I was going to say either send you to Hawaii or like New Zealand or something. Right. They fly. Well, at first it was New Zealand. Funny yeah. you should say that. And then Hawaii. And in Hawaii, they did a CAT scan and they found this huge tumor. Holy Jesus. I know, right? In my kidney. And oh. then, right. So uh, then I had to have my kidney removed and go through chemotherapy. And I was sick, 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 sick. For about eight months. Oh. Did you stay in Hawaii or did they at least get you home? No, they flew me to D.C. So I okay. did everything in D.C. And then um, then I came to Los Angeles. You see how it all comes down to L.A.? <laughs> I took the long way I love, around. I love, I love the fact that <laughs> the dichotomy of I tried to do the right thing and give back to the world and do something selfless and you got deathly ill. And so you did the full 180 and go, I'm going to go to the most selfish business. Right. Well, it was like, <laughs> I'm no, going to Hollywood. Yeah, it was like, I, I thought I would, I always thought I'd go back to my country. I always thought they'd send me back to Tonga. I always thought I was going back. But they, now with this history, there's like, you, right, we you can't have risk to be it. Five years cancer free. You have right. to be, you can't have just gotten out of chemotherapy. They're not going to have the treatment for you. I have to have CAT scans every six months. You know, I, this isn't going to work. Yeah. And then I, then for some stupid ass reason, I went back to the airline, right? And I go and I meet Mel Kasanovich, my supervisor. <laughs> and I say, hey, Mel, I guess you heard what happened to me. Here I am back groveling. Can I get back with the airline? 
And he said he'll discuss it with his seniors and da 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 And I get this letter in the mail. Christine, you know, we about, sorry about your situation. We'd be happy to have you back, but you will need to repeat training and start at the bottom so of the seniority. So you lost all your seniority. They said you just lost all seven years of seniority, which is you can't go back like that. Yeah. Because yeah. You, go, you would go back to making from $35 an hour. Anyway, you can't anyway. So it didn't. So with with no airline and no Peace Corps, I finally said, you know what? I really want to do. California. You know what I really want to do? Yeah. And then I came to L.A. So it took me a long time to find my path. It's unfortunate. It took so long. Well, but I'm I'm some people take a lot longer, you know, to find. I suppose. But um, it's quite a path, though. I know, right? But I mean, when you look back, you left the airline. And did that mean you also left your health insurance and all that stuff? Well, I mean, with the airline, uh, excuse me, with the Peace Corps, you know, I had, I was covered. So the, they covered the all that. Oh, thank yeah, God Yeah, thank for goodness. That. You know, it's inter- yeah, that's in a whole other story because they kind of, for a long time, they said it was a pre-existing condition, but they oh. couldn't prove that. And then and they, they had done this huge physical. Yeah, they gave you the big physical. Right. Wow. Anyway, but it was a whole, it, the, I'll tell you, the worst thing out there is if you really are sick and then you run into these financial problems or insurance problems, yeah. that's probably the worst situation to be in yeah it's the uh, number one cause of bankruptcy in this country is, mm. is health health uh, yeah costs. it's really unfortunate like the breadwinner of the family or you get sick and you know even if you have insurance it doesn't really cover a lot of times everything on and it. then yeah. and then the way i was able to kick off my life in la because i was totally bald from the chemo and everything right. i should uh, tell people that you know people who don't know you you're an actress and you oh. you've been in a lot of stuff and yeah because I said you had the stuff. podcast, but you know, yeah, that's yeah, I've you, done some stuff. I, I got, I've done some stuff. No, nah, you know, uh, you do a lot of voiceover stuff, right? It's I, mean, some, I just I do. You got the pipes. You got come on. You got radio pipes. Audio books now. I you do. never did radio. You got I a good radio done voice. Voiceovers. I've done, but I've uh, but I don't have a voiceover agent. My agent actually. Give me the time and the temperature and the. Traffic. I know, right? The time, uh, the quarter hour <laughs> sweeping the. How do you say it? The second hand is sweeping the quarter hour on our way up to six yeah. o'clock. Lead us into stairway to heaven. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly. Coming up, we're gonna get the let out. Do you know, I've always loved radio, though. I have like uh, talk radio. I've oh, yeah. always enjoyed talk radio my whole life, like listening to Larry King and Bruce Williams and Doug Hirth and all these guys. So did were you? So before you decided to come to L.A., I mean, had you done acting stuff in college? I'd or done stand-up. I'd done a lot of stand-up in college. Oh, okay. Oh, what I was going to say regarding the, how I got a start in L.A. is um, that my the insurance that I had, the government insurance, you get paid for a loss of an organ or a loss of like a thumb, you do get you get paid. So a kidney was worth sixteen thousand a year. That's the blue book on a kidney for three years. A thumb was worth eight thousand. A lung twenty three thousand. Wow! I took the kidney for sixteen. Sixteen. So, so you at least had some income like to come $1, out here. Twelve hundred dollars a month, right? Just to be here, right? And just all to it live. cost you was a kidney. So that all it cost me. So <laughs> boys and girls, yeah, that's. Yeah, it took a while. So did, in terms of travel, since you've been here, and you've lived here for, I don't know, 15 years 16 or something? 16 years, 16 yeah, a years. long time. It's all, about as long as me. I, it's been yeah. 15, 15? Oh my I God. love LA. Do you like it, LA? I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's better when you're working. Yeah. It makes it a lot easier. Of course. But um, I do. But in terms of travel, it's a pain in the ass because it's so far away from everything, other than the Pacific Rim stuff. Right. Just to go to Europe or anything. Oh, my God. Being on the East Coast, you know, it was so much easier. True. That's, could, I've never really was, thought of that. And going I, to Africa a, and all. It's so yeah. far from here, everything. Do you still love to travel? I do. Yeah. Yeah. So I, much so, I created a podcast to talk about it. Yes, that's I exactly I can talk about right. it all the time. No, no, interesting. Um, my sister's like that. I'm, I used to really be into traveling. I'm not as much anymore. You think, you think the flight attendant thing burned it out of you, you think? That sort of burned it out of me, and also um, the ability to go online and see any place you want now. It's like so much easier. It's not like you have... My sister was just in Iceland, okay? Yeah, yeah. And Iceland is so flipping expensive. I just can't justify. I just can't justify. <laughs> I like. I get it. I see the postcards. I see the puffins. I see her pictures. But you know, that's not like going. That's not I like know, being there. I know, but at the same time, it's like the, the amount of money. So for me, I think it's a money thing. If I Correct. am working and they want me you to go somewhere, you got too used to being flown I'm free there. everywhere. That's but if the, I if I have to pay for it, go pay for, it, and then my loss of income here. In other words, if I were in a better financial position, I well, could, sure, yeah. I would love to be able to travel more. But right now, I'm not. Plus, you in have that a child. You, you don't want. Yeah, to. I'm not. I'm not right now. I'm very happy going. To the ocean or going up to Big Bear. 
Yeah. And I love the opera, you know, the well, we're lucky we live in a place you can do right. that. Exactly. You know, or you can go skiing, you can like drive Pittsburgh, up. I always wanted to get the fuck out. I just wanted out, <laughs> get me out, get me out, get me out. But now, you know what? I'm really quite happy within three hours of right here. But that's, that's something also that takes time and a life lived to learn and be comfortable where you're at. You know, yeah. you've seen other places. You decided, I'd like to live here. That is so true. You know, I mean, you, you keep searching and searching. And that's one of the benefits that you saw just about every midsize and major city in this country right. in your 20s. Right. You can pick and choose. I can pick the, my favorite parts of every city in this. Right. Like, that's why I spent my 20s on the road doing comedy, but I got to see the country and I looked around and go, you know what? I can't think of anywhere else. Right, there's I'd really a rather lot of be right similarities now. in the country, aren't there? A lot of the sameness of it. Are very similar. You could be. I've said this before, but I mean, I, I remember working in. I think it was Phoenix. No, it was Houston, and uh, we were driving to the gig, and it was like major street there. And I said to the guys with me, I said, "You could literally, you could have knocked me out at home, put me on a plane, woken me up on this street. I would have no idea <laughs> where we're at because yeah. there's the Walmart next to the Taco Bell next right. to the." You, well, you I have did no that. idea. I did that because I had to stay in so many hotels as a flight attendant that I yes. would often wake up in the night and have to reach over to the phone and look at the phone to figure out where the fuck I was. Exactly. I wouldn't even oh, I'm know. The, what uh, I'm at another Radisson. I have no idea. After anything a while. green and white, you know, it was like Holiday yeah. Inn, Ramada <laughs> right. Inn. I always like those hotels called La Quinta because they have oh, yeah. a really good breakfast situation. A breakfast situation, I could go in, perhaps get something or not. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't, it wasn't a lot of pressure. For HGTV, they put me up in a lot of uh, Hampton Inns. Mm. And sometimes people were like, oh, ooh, a Hampton Inn. I go, you know what? Yeah. The internet always worked. Yeah, right. Which is huge now. Isn't that funny? Which is the most important thing. It was clean. And yeah, I do like the breakfast. I looked at a little grabbing something and then go. Or I just think, grab a yogurt and yeah. just leave and yeah. rather than go to some stupid Waffle House and spend... Right, you know, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I think I would feel differently also about flying now because the flight attendants, obviously you have your iPhone with you and that yeah. would change things too. Because when I was a flight attendant, like I knew every payphone in every flipping airport. Right. I knew the payphones that were broken. I knew the payphones that like spit out coins. But you always had these codes in your head. So you'd have to push in like one eight eight two five five seven four five seven eight two five and they go beep three five two one seven five two it was these series of numbers that you always had to do before a call was made right internet Ugh. the internet and cell phone has changed travel yeah. immeasurably i, I mean going on the road now like when i started going on the road in the early 90s and now is completely different i'm like i, I used to have to take a, a phone card remember those bots? oh yeah sure you sure, have to sure, punch sure, in sure. the we would stay in the comedy condo and they you couldn't dial out other than like local, right? So you had to punch in a code, right? And you exactly. had to top it up at the Seven oh, Eleven, and gosh, it's and, exhausting. And you were really, I mean, now to have one phone number, literally around the world, people can get a hold of you. I also uh, don't like now <laughs> changes everything. Yeah, it does. You're never I, out and of I, and contact. I like who I'm calling for them to answer the phone rather than. Uh, Hey, is Mike there? Yeah. Oh, it's exhausting. Yeah, right. Mike, pick up your fucking phone. I just want to talk to you. Yeah, yeah. And I think about it, I mean, we all grew up in the same, like, there was five people in our house. Yeah. One phone line. Right. Two phones, two actual phones, one in the kitchen and one in my and parents' bedroom. And you pull that long cord, like, oh, out yeah, of the yeah, house. Yeah. And you could pull it outside the screen door and then you could have a little privacy. And if you wanted to talk to your friends, you had to go see them. And my father would say, if the phone <laughs> rang at six o'clock... Tell your friends they cannot call at the dinner hour. Yes. You couldn't tie up the line. You couldn't, you couldn't tie, tie up, up the line. line. And if somebody was long distance, shh, they're talking long distance. I remember when we got call waiting. That was like a big deal. Oh, like, yeah. Ooh, wait a minute. You're not getting a busy signal? Did you guys I, I can HBO click over too? to another. Did you get HBO? No, we were. Uh, we were one of the last towns around us to get cable. I mean, to get the the town was wired for cable. Yeah. That was like a huge thing. It, That's so funny. It was huge. It was huge. So, I mean, when you look back, um, is there anything you would have changed about it? Like, would you have stayed longer? Would you skip the Peace Corps thing? Or would you? Have- oh my gosh! Listen, I think the Peace Corps going there saved my life because as a flight attendant, if one night I just had this backache and I was sick and delusional, I would go to a doctor and they would not go to the steps to get me a CAT scan and do the blood work. They would probably say, "Take this Tylenol, take this Motrin, take that fever down." I don't think my cancer would have been found because right. what happens is it was in my kidney and it was contained in there. But had it left, then it would go to my renal gland or my liver, and then you die. So where my cancer was was really undetectable um, until I got as sick as I did. But I don't think if I was here, I would have found it. 
So the fact that I was in the Peace Corps, the fact that they didn't have any water in the hospital, and the fact that the guy wanted me to give him a urine sample in his coffee cup uh, that he had just drunk oh, coffee in, and, uh, and then I, it was it, it, those situations led them to take me to a you know out of the country into a better hospital, and then that's why they did those more. Well, thank God. Tests. I mean, that could have been really bad. Yes, I suppose so. If you were at this like remote village, because they were going to send you to some really remote. Yeah, Even more I, well, I was. Place, right? Yeah, I was all very. Oh, yes, man. so uh, it's good that you know I uh, ended up going back to the country and uh, visiting my friends the next year and seeing the people. And In Tonga? I stayed. Yeah, I stayed for a couple oh. of months and went back. Well, you did. And um, I did. I didn't have like hardly any hair. They barely recognized me. But mm. I went back and I. Um, yeah, yeah, it was pretty intense going back. I took a lot of candy, a lot of food, and oh. a lot of things I knew my friends wanted. And then I and I spent some time then. Got some closure, as it were. That's great. Yeah. I've never been to Tonga. Yeah. What's it nice. like? I mean, it's, I'm sure it's beautiful. It's, but... uh, you know, it's uh, very, very, very beautiful. Crystal clear water. And just like you think of a beach in the South Pacific with the really high palm trees. But when you get down into it, it's mud. It's a whole lot of mud. Yeah. And a whole lot of uh, damp clothing. And everything smells like a wet dog all the time. A lot Noth- of rain. Nothing is dry ever. A lot of rain. Nothing really ever dries. It's always wet and, um, and poor. Very oh yeah, super super poor. Oh yeah, the poverty. You know, people they don't have shoes. A lot of people don't have shoes on my island. There were sixty-seven people. You know, um, no shoes, no. Sixty-seven on the whole island. Sixty-seven people. Yeah, sixty-seven. So they gotta us. like almost all be related in some uh, way. It, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. And by the way, sixty-seven people, two churches. No, the missionaries beat you there. The, huh? Well, the, the you know who beat us? The Mormons. 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 Exactly. The yeah, Mormons it was just in Salt Lake City. T- okay, that's right. And there was a lot of South South Pacific, a, lo- a lot, lot of, of Hawaiians. There a lot are of... more Tongans in Salt Lake City than in the country of Tonga. There's only a hundred thousand people in the country of Tonga, and on my small small island of Otea, in the Vavau group of islands with sixty seven people, there were two churches. Like I said, it was the Free Church of Tonga or the Mormons, and the Mormons had the only flush toilet on the island. Oh, that's how you went over converts. And I'll tell you something, right? If you don't think you're going to rethink your profit over a flush toilet, you're wrong, because you will. There's a reason they built those buildings so uh, magnificent. They make you know, them each. You start well, they to walk say in. that the temples are each as good as the next one. Yeah. You know, and th- that's their idea, is that we can all worship in the same way. Yeah, well, you think of that walking into the Vatican and stuff like that. I mean, if you live in a shack... And then you go up there and you go, wow, this is impressive. Well, and Two, the Mormons, a thousand like years in, ago, and yeah. you go, well, maybe maybe they have the answer. Yeah, in, <laughs> it's well, working for them. And the Mormons, they had like in Tonga, they had um, sprinklers in front of some of the churches, like sprinklers, like as if they're landscaping. Like, oh my gosh, like so. And then they would like offer their space if you were get, had a, a wedding or a funeral in your family, mm-hmm. you could use their space. So they're very, very, Clever. very intrusive in the. Yeah, in the country, there's so many Mormons in in Tonga. It's really interesting. I lived that. I lived with the Mormon family. That was the lady who fa- who was chanting over me. She, well, the white devil. The white. Yeah, de- that's me. That's right. I'm the white, white devil's devil. right inside. That's who I am. Palangi <laughs> Bouquet. That's me. <laughs> oh man, when you look back on it, do, what do you think all this travel taught you as a person, and how did it change you? Oh, and, you know, like how what? you look at the world. I think of- I'm your. I think I, you. You seem like a lot like me, Mike. I mean, it's just uh, try to be flexible, right? I mean. It's all good. Yeah. It's all good. You got you got people a piece are, from it? People are very similar. I think all around the world, people are very similar. We all really want the same. We all want food. We want to go to the bathroom well. You want your kids to have a safe life yeah, and go to school. We all want to have some good shoes on our feet, some pants. You know, we like running water. You know, it's all, I think everybody's very... I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, I've had a lot of good experiences. I, I don't... The bad ones, maybe I'm just blocking out. But I feel like it's been mostly really good experiences, and I feel like I've shared a good a good view of America. I, mean, I know it sounds really stupid, yeah. but like as an American, when I travel around the world, like I try to be really like represent Americans. Like, look, man, I don't have a gun, you know, and I don't I don't know anybody with guns really, and I don't, you know, it's all good. Like I'm trying to be a little more peaceful. <laughs> so, what's next for you? 
Where, where? First of all, tell people about where they can find the the okay. podcast. I do, have a, I do have a podcast. It's been over three years now called right. Storyworthy. It's great. It's going well. Storyworthypodcast.com. Uh, each week we have a different guest. They bring the topic to us. When you were on our show, your topic was grandma. Grandma, exactly. I told the story about my grandmother exactly. coming to Some see me and come do on. comedy. Exactly. Great story. Thank it was you. a great story. It was It'll fun. be up it was on very November fourth. November fourth. Mike oh, Sigel okay. is on Storyworthy. Storyworthypodcast.com. Storyworthy podcast. But of course, you find us on i iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. I'm sure the same as Travel Tales. And uh, it's great. So I enjoy enjoy doing my show. I'm also narrating audiobooks now, which is kind of a crazy career where I go in my closet and tell stories. And, uh, you know, so it's just uh, great. (laughs) You know, look, I'm like you. I'm out there. I'm auditioning. I'm trying. I'm pushing. And and I'm just trying to be, uh, you know, at peace. Is it working? Yeah. As long as I can play tennis and my guitar, I'm in good shape. You seem at peace. Do you play guitar? I got a guitar right there. Do no, uh, it looks good right there mm-hmm. on the wall. Mm-hmm. I bought it with the intent of uh, learning. Mm-hmm. Then I realized it took a lot of practice and time. I'll teach you. Really? Mm-hmm. I... You just need three chords. Yeah, well, yeah. And you know one the, more than the Ramones. Every blues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I could just play Ramones, aren't they all bar chords? Somebody, t- <laughs> I read that in the book. That's all, you just put one finger on all the... <laughs> Strings and just hammer it away. Yeah, that I can like do. That. It's something like that. All right. Well, this has been fun. Thank yeah, you so thank much. Thank you. I really appreciate uh, coming on. Yeah. And thank you for having me on your show. Yeah. Super. <laughs> super it's so incestual, isn't it? I know it is. It really Dirty. is. But the whole business is. Dirty. Yes. Christine Blackburn, everyone. Storyworthypodcast.com. Goodbye. <laughs> All your life, you were only waiting for this moment to arrive. You were only waiting for this moment to arise You were only waiting for this moment to arise